Welcome to Leading with a Brave Heart, a podcast that helps professional women build the confidence to lead with their hearts, to lead with confidence and compassion. I am Michelle Johns, and in this episode, I had a conversation with Casey Hellman, and I'm so excited to share this interview episode with you. episode, I'm speaking with Casey Hellman. Casey's a trusted expert in her industry, vocational education and training in Australia. Casey's passion is building better learners through education innovation and streamlining compliance and regulator requirements for better outcomes in education. Casey has deep expertise in registered training organisations, compliance and operations. She's a natural educator, a business owner, a consultant and a mother. Casey founded her own consulting business, Casey Hellman Consulting, so that she can help schools, private registered training organisations and TAFEs to strike a balance between compliance, usability and innovation in education design. She's also the CEO of Vet Lab for Schools, a registered training organisation itself that provides nationally recognised training to senior secondary schools. Casey and her husband are currently raising two children, Miss Six and Master Four. The self-proclaimed serial learner loves reading business strategy books and listening to a wide range of business podcasts. When she's not working, she is running around after Miss Six and Master Four or hunting for waterfalls in our beautiful high country. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Casey for you. She has extensive experience in leadership and share some awesome tips around managing life and work. I know you're going to be inspired and motivated by listening in. She is a true brave-hearted leader. Welcome to the podcast, Casey. Thanks for coming along. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, you've got a really interesting background there. Can you tell us how that all came about? Uh, yeah, well, by accident, to be completely honest, um, I actually went off to university thinking that I was going to take over you know, the AFL in sports sponsorship, but uh, I quickly realised that that wasn't playing to my strengths and I'm a little bit more analytical and uh, I've fallen into auditing. So it's a completely different shift. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I went from, you know, wanting to be a sports administrator to then moving into sports education and then realising that, you know, I'm probably better in the back end of the business, which is more the curriculum development and the, um, you know, the auditing against standards and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Tell us a bit more about that when you say auditing, um, like who would... Um who would that be for? Yeah, sure. So I work in the vet sector, which most people uh, commonly refer to it as the TAFE sector. Um, oh, but yes. there are over 4,000 RTOs, which are uh, which is an acronym for registered training organisations, and a majority of them are private. So anyone can set up a business and do training, but if you want to deliver accredited training, so if you want to um, come out with a nationally recognised qualification, yeah. you need to adhere to the national standards. And so I audit against those standards. 
So right. organisations that are delivering nationally accredited training, I go in and I check to see whether the curriculum is actually meeting the requirements uh, and whether their organisation as a whole are meeting the whole range of standards that they need to do to, to be registered with the regulator. Yeah, awesome. I might need to engage you at some point in my business too. So, um, and I remember when RTO came in because uh, hopefully I'm not telling the listeners my age, but I worked for one and I remember when it sort of became really privatised and we used to give grants out and so on for businesses to to get people into their training courses. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, look, it's got a, um, a terrible reputation for lots of change. So yeah. someone wrote an article recently about how in the last 20 years there was a change on average every two weeks in legislation when you counted up all the legislative changes across the whole range. Because as you can imagine, there's a whole range of legislation that sits across um, registered training organisations. And so, yeah, it's a bit notorious for being <laughs> a pretty, fast-moving sector in terms of, you know, changing a lot. So it keeps me pretty busy and happy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you enjoy that part of it? I do, actually. Yeah. I, I don't mind when things change a bit because then you get to go and, uh, you know, RTOs, it's all about continuous improvement. So yeah. I live and breathe that stuff. So taking something, how can you make that better and putting it through that continuous improvement cycle. So that just gives me an excuse to go and look at all policies and procedures and curriculum. Yeah. I'm sounding like such a nerd. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> looking at oh, Gives me an excuse to look at policies yeah, and procedures. No. I must admit, I do joke with my husband and I say, please don't leave me because my online <laughs> dating profile would be horrendous. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I guess, you know, different things uh, excite different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am fun too, I promise. <laughs> we'll stuff get outside of that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so in, I guess I was going to check with you who you're you know, who you'd be serving in your business. Um, But it could be anyone really since it's privatised, but who do you mainly work with? Uh, yeah, so I um, my business is a bit funny because I've kind of got two arms to my business. So uh, I actually have my own registered training organisation as well. Oh, so awesome. I'm, a, I'm a consultant that actually helps registered training organisations adhere to the standards and I write, you know, policies and procedures for them or do yeah. quality audits. But then on the other side of it, I run my own training organisation. So um, that kind of helps me position myself as a consultant that practices what I preach because I'm obviously running a training organisation that has to adhere to the standards. Um, And you'd find out pretty quickly if I wasn't. I was (laughs) going to say, you don't audit yourself, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. no. But it'd get around pretty quickly if I failed an audit with a regulator. So, um, but yeah, so my registered training organisation predominantly works in the senior secondary space. So there's a program called Vet in Schools or Vet Delivered to Senior Secondary Schools. um, And that's where um, students, year 11 and 12, can do a vet program and then that contributes to their VCE or their ATAR score if they're outside of Victoria. Oh, okay. So VET, just for those that don't know, like... That, oh, yes, sorry. Yes. No, no, no. No, I'm used to... There, there's four million acronyms in our industry. So VET stands for Vocation, Education and Training. Yep. 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 So that's yep. like it. So like I said, most people think it's the TAFE sector because they think certificates and diplomas, yep. but it's also privatised. So I'm a private RTO that delivers... Yep. Um, I actually deliver a Certificate 3 in Sport and Recreation oh, awesome. in conjunction with senior secondary schools. So I basically oversee um, the school's... Uh, with the curriculum and I help them implement it and they run it. Oh, that sounds like interesting work. Do you get involved in the actual 
school side of it or is it all behind the scenes like you were saying before? Mostly behind the scenes in terms of I write the curriculum, um, I do staff development, I manage the projects, I do all the admin in terms of the enrolments and the certificates and stuff like that. But in terms of I don't go into the school and teach it. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah. Yep, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't physically go in and teach it, but I do provide professional development to the staff to make to sure the that staff. they yeah. are teaching it to a certain level. And I also audit a number of the um, submissions that the students make. It all comes in mm-hmm. and then I audit and then provide feedback to the teacher to say whether or not that meets standards or not. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting. And when you were describing what you do in the business, there was a lot of things there. So um, what would you say your greatest strengths are in that and are there places that you have to sort of stretch yourself? Sure. Uh, That's a good question. I feel like one of my – this will sound silly, but I feel like one of my strengths – is knowing my weakness. So I know what I'm not good at. Um, I've always been very, very self-aware of what I can do and what I can't do. And, um, you know, when I sort of voice what I'm not good at, people go, oh, don't put yourself down. I'm like, I'm not putting myself down. I'm acknowledging that that's not something that I'm great at and that's okay because I know now that I have to go and resource that differently so that it doesn't – so my business doesn't suffer. So one of my weaknesses is not being able to sell like verbally to someone so I'm, I'm just terrible at communicating my product or you know my service to what it is I, and I think it's because I do it day in day out that I kind of forget exactly what's in you know involved in it yeah. like so I know it in minute detail but I might not describe it to you in my minute, minute uh, detail in a way to sell it to e- exactly yeah. right yeah. or you know so uh, the way that I I guess I um, try and fix that is that I put strategies around other ways of selling. So I'll make sure that my website has got a lot of information on it. So when people go to my website, they're almost self-selling. So they're, they're getting all the information they need from that point of contact and then when they contact me they really are at about 80% sold already so if I had to cold call somebody and say hey I want to come and audit your training organization to make sure you're up to scratch they'd probably get super offended the fact that I'm calling them and basically accusing them of not being up to scratch for starters but if they're searching around going look I need someone to come in and have a look at you know my organization see if it's up to standards They've got on my website, they've had a look at my processes and what I do. They understand that I provide you a risk map. They understand that I colour code things and I work with you to get it to the next level. So they're kind of already semi-sold on that and then yeah. they contact me and then I can do the awkward, oh, yeah, well, this is how much oh, I charge. How much I charge. <laughs> and, and I was going to jump in and kind of coach you a little bit there because yeah. when we say we're terrible at something um, or we're not good at we know we're not good at um, – you know, this is really for everyone out there. Um, It's more about what would take more energy for us to learn and to get better at. And so why spend our energy in that place when we can spend our energy in the place we are, you know, strong at, which might be writing your communications and so on, and less energy. Like imagine if you put all your energy learning how to sell properly, your business would go under because you're not doing the other things. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what I think. And then leveraging what other people's strengths are and so on. exactly right. And also too, my business is a service-based business, so I am the doer. So I am delivering the service. So if I'm spending all my time I'm on a phone trying to cold call and do things that I'm not really good at. You're right, my business will absolutely stall. But yeah. if 
I have other strategies in place that are going to get clientele to come through the door, then I can be the doer that's actually doing the service and, you know, creating the income in that bracket. So, yeah, it's taken a little while to sort of get there um, in terms of putting, like, I guess really understanding the dynamics that I've got in my business, but it's certainly working for me at the moment. Yeah, So I'm pretty happy with that. I was thinking about um, when you said you don't um, sell well or something, but to get into a business, like start your own business, there had to be something there. So I'm thinking, well, if it wasn't about like selling, maybe um, it was about like, you know, just having confidence to go and do something. Like I might be putting words in your mouth. <laughs> but I um, mean, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about how you you sort of started? Like you've got sure. yourself yep. into that? Yeah, yep. So um it actually comes from a story that sounds probably a little bit arrogant at the start too. So I was in a job which I absolutely loved and to this day is still one of my most favourite jobs that I've ever worked in. Um, but I was doing way over what my position description was. Are you a woman? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I went to my boss, male, and, uh, and I said that I wanted a pay rise and I wanted my title to be changed from coordinator to manager because I was managing. Like I was doing high-level projects um, and he was always very good at dangling the carrot for a long time. So he'd be like, Mm. if you do this project, you'll get some great skills and knowledge and then come back to me and we'll see what we can do. And I'd scurry away and I'd do that project and I'd come back, if you do this project, and it just kept going around in circles. And I just said one day, look, this is where I'm at. I feel like I'm absolutely entitled to this. Um, Is it yes or no? And he said no. I went home um, through a tantrum with my husband and said, you know, this is BS, like this is not fair. And he said, and I I was already doing a bit of consulting on the side. So I was writing training products and selling them. And I'd built up a little bit of a safety net, I guess, um, by selling those products. And my husband said, just back yourself, just go, just go for it. So I wrote my resignation letter that night. I went in the next day and I said, oh, you know, I just really wanted to thank you for the opportunity. I've really had an excellent time of building, you know, my skills and knowledge here, but I just feel like, you know, if we can't agree on the $10,000 pay rise, in the grand scheme of things, what's that, a couple hundred dollars a week, not even, mm-hmm. um, and the title change, then I'm going to have to go and seek that somewhere else. And he said, well, no, and I called his bluff and said, okay, I'm going. And so he sent the email out to the whole, um, whole of the company to say, yep, um, Casey's leaving. And the director comes running in and he's like, well, hang on, what, what's what's happening here? Like, surely, surely, what, what did you want? And I said, I wanted $10,000 and I wanted my title to change from coordinator to manager. And my manager said, no. And he goes, oh, no, 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 we should be able to do that. And I said, well, I'm really sorry, but I've already committed to another another place. Like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who... Like I'm, I'm very say it how it is. Like I'm yeah. not going to threaten to try and get my own way because it just doesn't create a good work environment. If I go in there, if you don't give me a pay rise, <laughs> I'm leaving. Like it's not going to yeah. create a healthy environment to work in. No. So I just called it, cut, cut the ties, and that's pretty much how I started my self-employment. So that was about eight years ago now. And um, I just kind of backed myself. And then, yeah, my husband and I went on a week holiday and played some golf and then I realised, oh, my God, like I'm self-employed now. <laughs> I've got annual leave, no sick leave. <laughs> How did it feel? The, yeah, I'll, it was it was really good. And, um, you know, like if – I mean, I was lucky that I had a little bit of savings there that I'd already sort of built up there. So I wasn't starting with nothing. Um 
but a lot of learnings started happening quite quickly there because I'd go to do something and I'd be like, oh, that didn't quite work. All right, how do I do this? So, um, yeah, lots of learnings at the start. Yeah, I was. I, I did want to stop and acknowledge um, the backing you got from your husband at that time as well, because not everybody has that experience. So yeah, I just want to yeah. acknowledge that. No, he's um, yeah, my ride or die. Like he he has just got the most um, uh, like the blind faith in my ability. Like he just he just thinks that I'm the smartest woman going around. Like he really does back me in every way possible and he always has from day dot and um you know he's my best friend and I absolutely can't do what I do without him because we obviously got two kids um and he he is just as much a part of my business as what I am even though he's not an employee or working it but we work together to make our home life work so that the business can run so um absolutely I you know acknowledge Rick like he he's been a really great um asset to my life like you know my best friend and obviously helps the business and always gives me a little confidence boost when I need them and all that kind of stuff too so yeah it's it's great yeah that's awesome um it's something that I share with people when they and as women we often don't have this belief in ourselves and we and I encourage people go to that person who has more belief in you than you do. It's yep. great that it's your husband and often it is it is the partner. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where um, sometimes we do need that from someone else. But yep. you know, it would be great if we could all just get it from our insides. But um yeah, yeah it's just part of being human I think and uh, most of us have that those moments of self doubt. And then there's those people that just believe in us a hundred percent. Absolutely. Awesome. And I think um you know, as women, we do doubt ourselves a lot. Um, and so, yeah, just back yourself. That's always, I, I feel we are a lot smarter. We have more knowledge, skills than we, what we give ourselves credit for, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just back yourself and go for it. Yeah. Well, just on that, I was going to ask you, I mean, starting a business yourself and you have said that you did, you know, <laughs> reach into inside your husband's heart and everything <laughs> to get some of that belief. But if, for those listeners out there who are, you know, I guess lacking some confidence, whether it's to start their own business or even just to pursue their ambition in their career, um, would you have any advice for them? Um, yes, I, I would say, I mean, I'm a bit of a list maker, so sit down and do your pros and cons and all mm. that kind of stuff. But I, I'm a really big believer in that knowledge is power. Like, so yeah. really research it and make sure you know Um, what you're getting yourself into reach out to other people who have businesses and talk to them about you know what was hard what would you do differently those type of things Um, and yeah try and have a safety net there so that you don't put financial pressure on yourself because I feel like that's that's a big factor in a lot of businesses not going to the next level too it's that constant grind and the working 100 hours a week to pay yourself less than minimum wage to try and get your dream and you know there are going to be times where you'll be doing that you know in a business so you've got to be really going to it with eyes wide open it's not all you know I can go and have a coffee at the coffee shop whenever I want because I'm (laughs) self-employed it's you know there's a lot of times yeah there's a lot of times I'm sitting up at 2am still writing those audit reports or I'm you know I, I yes I can take a couple of hours off and go to my daughter's athletics day yeah but then that night I'm up 
redoing those hours and, and all the rest of it all weekend. So sometimes I have to sneak a couple of hours on the weekend, you know, while husband's in the pool with the kids and I run inside and do an audit report sort of thing. So it's not all glory. Like it's um, it's a hard slog, but it can be rewarding if you make it work within your own lifestyle. So you've got to be really clear on what's important to you um, before you jump into that, I would say. Yeah. Well, just on that, if you um, if I think about what you just said and having like children and you know a business and um, you know a marriage and so on, um, and I imagine that there's some things. I mean, you mentioned before that you, you are fun as well, so <laughs> I imagine there's things that you have outside of work as well, interests as well. So with all that, you know, kind of demanding, um, demanding life, I guess. Um, and I wouldn't say how do you balance it up, but how would you? How do you make it um, work for you? Like, yep. how do you be present with each of those areas of your life? Is there any like even something practical to share with our with our listeners? Sure. I mean, I'd love to say that I've got it worked out, but I don't. I think I just sort of wing it each day. But um, you know, there are times where my business is really busy and it, it tilts towards me doing more work than home stuff. And then there's times where I'm not busy and it tilts towards more home stuff, not work yeah. stuff. Um, you know, I, I like doing drop-offs and pickups from school. Yeah. Like I feel like that's, um, something that I enjoy doing, taking the kids to and from school. So I try and always build that into my work day um but this week my husband's had to do three pickups because I've been in meetings and haven't been able to get out of it so you know there's there's times where that compromise has to come into it but um from a practical point of view uh you know my husband travels a bit for work so that's difficult when he's away for sort of two or three nights and um you're sort of doing it all but um shout out to my husband who cooks every night he does all the cooking I know I know (laughs) I'm told quite often how lucky I am to have someone who cooks every night but um but I think we've got a pretty even share of all the household sort of duties and stuff and I am being the nerd that I am I'll use my calendar and I'll invite him to like school pickups if I can't do a school pickup I'll put it in his calendar Yeah. yeah so I just you know have to be really clear about who's doing what um within just to help make our home lifestyle work well I think um we talk about like yeah nerding out on calendars but it's so important yeah just those things around planning or calendar or schedules where we think we don't have time to do it but it just saves us so much time later on I have to put everything in my calendar now because there's just so much mental load with having two kids in like school and kinder so there's obviously the pickups and the drop-offs but there's all the permission forms there's sports days there's you know the different things that need to be like show and tell days all that kind of stuff so it just all goes into my calendar and I color code it all green for family I color code red for urgent like all those type of things so if you look into my calendar you see a bit of a rainbow but um (laughs) that's just how it works for me personally and how I blend work and family into one so I wouldn't say I've got it balanced but I'd say that I've, I've sort of merged it and um, another thing too I'll just mention like you know people there was a bit of a trend there a little while ago talking about you know balance home and work and you know cut cut the two out sort of separately and make time for it but you know sometimes me time is me tinkering on my website like I actually quite enjoy my work I love my work that's why I do it for a living so sometimes my downtime is tinkering about doing a brochure or something because I don't have to concentrate so I've got some you know trashy tv in the background and I'm tinkering on the computer on the couch so 
uh, yeah, I, I, I don't buy into that balance. I don't think there is a balance. I just think you need to make what works for you and what's happening in our house household works for our household. Yeah, and I think you make a good point there because if it's something you enjoy, it's not so much, um, you know, you can take the time whenever you feel like doing it or it doesn't feel hard is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think um, if I think about when you first started your business, because this could be like career women out there could be not doing their dream job, they're doing something that they don't really enjoy. So it, they they feel like when they're at work, they're taking time away from their family and it's not purposeful. Yep. So I think that's where sometimes we talk about work-life balance because we don't enjoy what we do for work. So if there's, I mean, I'm sure there's career women out there looking for how to find their purpose, but if I think about it from your perspective, starting a business, um, we talk about the hard things, you talked about some of the hard things at the start of your business, but would there be anything that was kind of awesome about how you, you know, when you first started your business, like, you know, something that kind of felt like you were on your dream job, I guess. Yeah. So, oh, that's such a hard question. I've never really thought about it in that way. Um, what, what do I enjoy doing? Was that Oh, I guess it was more about like, I was going to ask you what was hard when you first started your business, but like yep. I'm trying to inspire people. Like maybe there was something, maybe there was something um, at the start that, you know, just kept you going or, you know, um, you know, was the reason you did it or how you found the passion for what you do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really like the compliance side of things in registered training organisations. So working with a client to get them out of a pickle is obviously really great for me. So, you know, people sometimes will ring up and be like, oh, you know, like their registration, their livelihood's on the line because if you lose your registration, you can't do training anymore. So they're high-pressured jobs where you have to usually rectify within 45 days. The regulator will only give you a certain amount of time. So I get to have 45 days to go all in with an organisation and restructure things and I love that. So that was really exciting at the start to sort of be trusted to go in and and basically fix someone's livelihood and get them back on track ready for the regulator. So, I mean, all those outcomes are are great Um, and, yeah, and also too for me, I I guess, is being able to pick my own work hours. So I actually can smash out some amazing work after 8, 8 p.m. Like, so yeah. I, I'm not a nine-to-five person and I don't think I ever will be again. And I think COVID has been brilliant for that in terms of I feel like women in the workplace are now going to benefit a lot more because people are forced to acknowledge now that people can work from home and they can be productive and they can produce excellent work from home so I feel like the workplaces are now slowly shifting to being more flexible so hopefully more women will be able to you know move off and do sort of more passion sort of projects and stuff um I I feel like we're on the cusp of a big change in the way that work is happening at the moment and I'm excited about it yeah Um, me too yeah and I think you mentioned like loving doing the pick up pickups and drop-offs probably the other way around right drop off in the morning pick up in the afternoon (laughs) yeah don't do it the other way (laughs) don't do what I said (laughs) don't do what Michelle said but I'm sure that um this time this COVID times that you just mentioned is when women have been able to do the drop-offs and the pickups and um and that's right and still get the job done yep 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you've got to remember too, and I'm not having a go at all the men out there, but the homeschooling really did come down to the women. It sure did. Um, you know, during COVID and um, – I know that I did all the homeschooling, but my husband did pick up other things. So he did more of the cleaning and the stuff. He obviously did all the cooking. And we kind of had this, uh, I guess, routine where he would get up um, and basically work from 8 to 2 p.m. And then I would do the homeschooling and muck around with the kids between that time. And then he would take over the kids from 2 p.m. and then do, you know, the bed bath or all that kind of stuff um, and dinner. And then I'd start my work day at sort of 2.30 p.m., up to midnight. So yeah. um, during COVID, it was difficult. I'm, I'm not glorifying working from home when you've got kids home 24-7. We, yeah. I found it particularly really difficult. Um, but it also showed me what I'm capable of as well. Yeah. Um, and I think there might be a few listeners thinking, <laughs> I wish I had a husband doing that. <laughs> we come back to the husband again. <laughs> Yeah, well, do you know what? It's so funny because he's like his mom and his sister always, you know, oh, oh my God, you're so lucky. You've got a husband who does this. Well, why shouldn't he? Like, he, he is, he's lucky. an equal parent. Yeah. Like, he's, you know, so I sometimes I get a bit cranky. I do acknowledge everything he does for me, absolutely. Um, but I do a lot for the family as well. And it's about balancing it out. So um, he cooks because he thinks I'm a terrible cook, and I probably am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll, do most of the cleaning stuff because I don't mind doing the cleaning so it all balances out um yeah so I, I don't think he does more or less or I do more or less it's just how we work it out in our family so yeah and you've got a good point around the luck um lucky um maybe it's just fair I don't know yeah, yeah it's another well, I conversation think so. I think <laughs> <laughs> all right well I'm going to just take you down another path it's sort of related because it's um about more about challenges so um you know, like being a, a podcast for career women, there's a lot of challenges that people face at work. So can you share a challenge that you've faced and maybe how you overcame it or a time you didn't feel quite as confident as you normally do and what, and you did it anyway and like how that, how that went for you? Yeah, sure. I think um, good time to talk about this because I feel like I'm back to myself in terms of being my confident self. So... When I talk about, you know, I left that job because I didn't get the pay and all the rest of it and started, you know, being self-employed, um, my husband and I had been trying to get pregnant for about five years at that point and we kind of almost gave up on the idea of not being able to have kids. And then as you have it, you get into self-employment with no benefits and you fall pregnant. So any, there's some tips out there for you if you want to, um, if you can't get pregnant, just load yourself up with debt and then you'll get pregnant. Only <laughs> buy a house leave your job you quit yeah yeah so you know and then uh yeah so anyway we fell pregnant and that was um that was wonderful but when I was so naive like going into this like I was like yep cool have the baby I'll keep working and um I'm sure people are laughing while they're listening to (laughs) this because oh geez did I get a reality check so I feel like um when I had children, I kind of lost myself a little bit. So I lost all my confidence. All of a sudden, I couldn't meet the deadlines, which I was absolutely notorious for before kids. So I was Mm. always 
you know, a deadline person. I was always on time. I was always producing really high quality work. And then there's this baby come along and all of a sudden I was being interrupted every three hours to breastfeed. And I was like, oh my God, like, how am I going to get that report done? I'm so behind. And I really lost myself a little bit there for a while, but I think now, um, you know, I've got another child as well. So my son is four. So my, my kids are six and four. Now they're that a little bit older and I've been working at it a bit more, I feel like I've got all my confidence back and I've really found who I am again. Um, right. And I feel like this year is kind of the year for me. So we've got to the point where, you know, my son's in three days of kinder. So I've got those days to really focus on the business and and I call them me days because I love doing the business stuff and working because I feel that that was pre-children, my work was my identity. And then when I had children, I felt like that was stripped away a little bit and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know who I am. I'm I'm not contributing. I'm not and I just kind of lost it a bit. So... Now that it's all back in balance, I feel, yeah, that that I'm on the way. So Yeah, look, I just want to thank you for sharing that. It's really open. And I'm sure that there's a lot of women going through what you were going through uh, when you kind of lost yourself. So if you, if you were to think now and look back at that person and sort of forgive them a little bit <laughs> for not meeting the deadline or whatever else it was, um, do you have any any uh, words of wisdom like on, on reflection that you could share with anyone or maybe we could brainstorm uh, what you could have done differently <laughs> to, to forgive yourself or, you know, because yeah. they enjoy that time. And, oh, look, and absolutely. And I do enjoy being a mother. I just don't think it comes naturally to me. Like I, it's something that, you know, how you sort of see people and they just naturally pick up the baby and <laughs> slap sure. it over the shoulder. <laughs> and Really? <laughs> this brilliant mum. And I'm like, oh, my God. Is like, that Instagram? I don't know what I'm doing with this baby. Like, is it hungry? Is it dirty? Like, I just, I struggled. And my mum's not around anymore, so I didn't have anyone to sort of call up and be like, yeah. what the hell is this? What, what is this going on? So kind of just winged it a bit. And um, I don't think I need to apologise to myself because I feel like that I did the best that I could in that environment and that's enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, you only know what you know sort of thing. So yeah. uh, you just learn from it and you move on. So, yeah, I missed a couple of deadlines but no one's dead. So, yeah. um, you know, you've got to put things into perspective as well. So, um, you know, I, I – yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's what you experience. Yep. So it's valid. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I guess you, um, I guess, learnt more out of it. And also you come out the other side and you've got this confidence. So um, I guess in, in um, thinking about this confidence and so on, um, I was thinking how women uh, tend to you know, have trouble like negotiating salary and so on at work and, you know, being in your own business, yep. you would have had to negotiate contracts or mm. do pricing and so on. So do you have any um, words of wisdom or um, advice for women who, who, you know, they get, they want to go in, they want to ask for a pay rise or they want to go for a promotion, they want to negotiate the right salary? Um any words that you could share? Oh, I get um, this. I get this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, look, 
it all just comes down to backing yourself, I think. It, it just in terms of like I told the story about how I ended up calling the bluff and leaving, but mm. I obviously had things in place for that to happen. So you can't go in guns blazing if you, you don't have a backup sort of thing. So, and I guess the art of negotiation is that both parties have to want to be able to ha- come to an outcome. So if the other person is not prepared to budge or even have an outcome you've kind of got no chance so yeah it's and you know that goes both ways so you've got to go into a negotiation knowing that you might have to compromise on certain things as well so that's the whole point of negotiating I guess but um I think women tend to undervalue themselves significantly so I think really have a strong idea about what your skills are what your knowledge is what your value is um because I think we undervalue ourselves a lot um, and just being confident and being confident to acknowledge that if they're not going to acknowledge your skills, knowledge and value, that you need to go and seek that somewhere else yeah. um, because there's no use sitting in a job where you're not going to be valued. Um, you can go and get that value somewhere else or, or go out on your own um, and do it that way. Yeah, good advice. And I like that you um, touched on the negotiation so negotiation is when, um, you know, if you want to go in and win against the other person, then that person has to lose, but they want to come in and win too. So, mm. the, you know, going into a negotiation trying to get a win-win is, um, is what you want. So that's where you've got to think about what's in it for them. So I try to talk to yep. people about like making sure that... No, and absolutely. then that's where the value comes in. Yep, absolutely. And I think... Um, yeah, and I think women do tend to probably give in a little bit easier than um, men when it comes to negotiating. I think men are a bit more confident at it too. So, um, yeah, just just really back yourself. I think that's that's literally my go-to. Back yourself. Back yourself. I know I've heard uh, it's a common theme. Yeah. Today, and um, yeah, we need to back ourselves more. And just on that topic of, um, I guess, um, I don't know if. It, I guess that in RTOs, is it male-dominated or is it more women because you're dealing with the schools? Or Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It depends on – so there's kind of like sectors within sectors, if that right. makes sense. So I feel like – and I haven't got any data to back this up, so I could, it could just be my perception. But I feel like in the private sector, it's more male-dominated at the top. In the yep. public sector, it's more female-dominated right. at the top. So there's a bit of a mix okay. um, sort of depending on where you go. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting where that kind of falls. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Um, and I'll ask you a question about like in that being in that sort of male-dominated space, maybe just in the private sector. Yeah. Um, have you? I guess what's the worst misogyny you've ever faced in that sector? Like, especially being a business owner, have you, or have you faced that anything? Um, I, I want to say not really because. But I also want to acknowledge that pre-children I was probably a bit naive to it because right. I just sort of yep. felt like maybe I was trying to be one of the boys mm. and, and to try and progress my career that way. Um, and then having children has kind of helped me open my eyes a lot in terms of a different different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think back to even how I used to act towards working mothers when, you know, they're rushing out the door at 4.30 and I'm like, why can't they stay for a drink? Like now I'm like, I couldn't think of anything worse. Get me out of here. I'm going to get home. I'm going to get the kids in the bath, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, but, yeah, no, I'm I'm lucky that I haven't faced anything too bad in my career. I will say when I was 
in my early 20s, I started an RTO. So this is, Vet Lab for Schools is my second RTO. So when I was in my early 20s, um, I started an RTO. And at the time, I was the youngest person in Australia to hold um, RTO registration. And um, I used to rock up to meetings and people just assumed I was the assistant. <laughs> and I'd be like... Asking you to no. get the coffee and so on. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm actually the CEO of, of my business and they were like oh really like they're just so surprised because I was like 23 and sitting there with the training organization under my belt and and um, female <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, that was probably the only thing that I really really felt from there but most people have been pretty good oh that's good that's good like yeah. it's not the case for most people but I, I can relate to the um relate to that as well because early in my career I did try to be one of the boys yep and I also didn't acknowledge that there was any bias going on at all because it didn't affect me. Yeah, I think that was um, for me too. Yeah. I, I feel like that's when I say my perception of it was that no, but I'm probably pretty naive to it. Yeah, I was as well. And I remember thinking, what are they talking about? But then I was the only woman on the business trip. And I was the only woman at the bar on a Friday night, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. Because the others had to go home um, earlier or they couldn't do the business trip and then the opportunities would um, diminish. Yep. And then once I got to a leadership role, then it started. Then I started to notice it. Yes, yep. And, uh, yeah, thinking about those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pleasant. No, it's not. So um, I was going to ask you a little bit about... Um, Leadership, I guess, because some of our listeners are, you know, aspiring to be a leader. And, you know, you've been a CEO, you just mentioned at 23, so I'm sure you have some advice on this. But my question is more about the future and what leadership means in this time. And if you reflect on COVID that you were just mentioning before, um, and really just for conversation, Mm. what would you think the, I don't know, the most... um, important skill might be for this kind of era that we're living in or maybe a few skills Mm -hmm. in in terms of leadership? Uh, If I think about the skills that I need to propel my business forward, it's, um, it's definitely communication because all my team is remote. So for me to progress projects, I have to have good communication skills with my team. I have to be clear about what the objectives are, what needs to be done, all that stuff. But I also need to be empathetic to what's going on in their life as well. So, um, you know, in terms of who my team is, so I've got a mum who's got kids who does school drop-offs and stuff as well. So we know that our meetings are never at 9 o'clock and they're never at 3 o'clock because we're both out the door rushing off to get kids. So we meet in the middle of the day. Um, One of my other team members is up in Queensland and has been affected by the floods. So I've just said, look, just call me when you're ready, like just... Don't worry about work. Um, work's not important. What's important is your mental health and your well-being and same with your partner. Um, so just sort of having, I guess, the awareness of things that happen outside of work yeah. are important, you know. So um, it's not going to be the end of the world if one of my deadlines isn't met. If I have to ring a client and say, look, sorry, that's a bit behind because one of my team members has just lost their house like put it in perspective so and that's what I try and tell my team members when they're like oh my god I'm not going to meet that deadline that's okay like that's okay we'll put some you know strategies around that that's fine um so for me that they're the key leadership skills that I need in my business is um 
to move things or to 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 grow my business, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think I've already spoken about COVID. I think that's been a really positive thing in many ways. But I also want to acknowledge that COVID for me, um, I wasn't affected by COVID because I didn't lose my job. I wasn't put under financial stress. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch COVID and I still haven't caught COVID yet, touch wood. Um, It inconvenienced me. So I wasn't affected by COVID. I was inconvenienced by COVID. So it's, you know, it's easy to sit here and talk about what we should be doing. But for some people, that was a terrible time and they Mm. lost jobs and they were put under significant stress and all the rest of it. And people probably weren't empathetic to that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm always very aware of what's going on outside of my business because at the end of the day, I'm not a heart surgeon. I'm not saving lives. I'm not... I'm not yeah. in there. Things, you know, don't depend on it. It's about um, relationships and, um, you know, outcomes come after the relationships. Yeah. And I think you made a, a, a good point there around that things have started to change. And if you went to that um, RTO or and said, hey, we're running a bit behind because of the... Um, the floods in Queensland. I wonder if two years ago they wouldn't have been as compassionate, but now potentially so many people have been impacted over the last two years and we have seen the human side come out a lot more than we have ever. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's a positive change that we've seen and I'm, I just hope it, it carries on. Um, there are some, you know, there have been some um, less empathetic things going on, but I feel like on the whole we've come a, a long way. I think so. Uh, for, for me personally, for my business, like schools used to want me to come to them physically to have a meeting. But if you can imagine the teacher has a timetable and sometimes they're only free for 45 minutes in that day because they're off doing different classes or whatever. So they'll be like, okay, I need to have a meeting at 11.15. <laughs> you know, they give me a very specific time frame to be there. So I'd have to drive an hour to get to the campus, park, go in, have the 30-minute meeting, then drive an hour home. Now we can jump on Zoom and they're much more willing to just jump on Zoom. So yeah, everyone been, knows. Yeah, amazing for my business in that aspect that I don't have to travel to the schools anymore. Um, but also too, like there's been a bit of a dynamic change for this year um so they've had two years of homeschooling obviously so I did a lot of you know converting curriculum to make sure that it could be delivered in the home and all that kind of stuff but now kids are back and the behavior is off the charts so teachers are actually saying that they've never experienced behavioral problems as bad as what they've ever ever experienced so now I'm trying to put strategies in place around that as well so it's like well how do I support my teachers in the classroom who are delivering this content to kids who have forgotten how to socialize they've forgotten how to concentrate concentrate (laughs) exactly right because they're so used to being at home on devices or only doing you know bits and pieces of schoolwork and particularly for schools in low socioeconomic areas a lot of those kids just switched off. They just said, well, pff, I'll see you in eight weeks. I'm not getting on Zoom. And they just turned off and they didn't do any schooling. Wow. So there's there's some, some significant problems that have come out of it for education that we're all trying to work on. So, you know, part of my role, the leadership role in that is learning, well, how do I support my team through that? And how do I create an environment that supports the teacher but also um, provides them with additional support 
um, for, sorry, additional support to the students as well so they feel supported to re-engage back into learning. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. It'll be uh, a good, not a good outcome, but a good case study to look at yeah, to definitely. see what are the long-term impacts of COVID in, in that behavioural space, I guess. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you've got to think about it. So my, my children are six and four. So my daughter... Um, she, her kinder and her prep year were both COVID years. So she hasn't had a full yeah. year of school yet. My son is four years old. He's been in lockdown for 50% of his life. Yeah. So he is just like the clingiest kid you'll ever meet in your life because he just, it was around me 24 seven. Yeah. So we're going through that stuff at home as well as what other kids are going, you know, teenagers, let alone teenagers who have lost that right to socialize. So yeah, that's another, another story as well. Mm. I just want to go back to what you said about your team because I heard you say you've got a team member in Brisbane, um, you know, another mother who, you know, like does drop off and pick up. So you've been working in a, I guess, a remote space before before COVID hit? Oh, definitely, like, yep, yep. For a long time? Yep. yep. So I, I, like when I go back and say COVID didn't affect me, it inconvenienced me, I'd, I was already working from home yeah. full time. So that was, I've always been remote for those eight years. Um, so that wasn't a change for me. And I I have team members sort of come on and off, so contractors as well. So I've got one in the Philippines, one in Canada, um, one in Melbourne uh, with me, two, sorry, two in Melbourne and one in Brisbane. And not to put you on the spot, but is there any um, advice in that space like um maybe people needed it two years ago but but i think people are still struggling with it Uh, especially um bringing a team together is any any practical thing you do to have the team come together or when people need to work collaboratively or anything um it's just it's all about communication and having those clear goals so this is the outcome how are we going to get there these are the steps okay who's responsible for each step it really is that simple so making sure that everyone understands the vision everyone understands what our um our values are as well so my team know that i won't um so, sorry, I, I only charge a small amount per student to come and do a course at Vet Lab for Schools and I don't have a minimum number. So I've got a school that literally, you know, they're a $2,000 client but it probably cost me $3,000 to have that client but I'm not going to turn that school away because they're a regional school and those kids won't get the opportunity to do that course through anybody else. So my team know that my value is about... um, giving regional schools the same opportunities as metro schools. So our programs are to be provided out at regional areas, the same as it would if it's in a big city school that has 150 kids that are doing the program. So my philosophy is that the bigger schools will cover the cost for the smaller schools. will all work out in the wash. And I know that's not a great, you know, business analysis philosophy or whatever in terms of from a financial point of view, but it's not just about financial for me. It's about outcomes for those kids. And my team know that. So they know that they will never turn around or, sorry, they will always treat my regional schools exactly the same as one of my big clients. They all get treated the same, yeah, regardless great. of they're a $2,000 client or a $50,000 client. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm from the country. I'm a country girl. So I know that the opportunities for me were limited. Um, so I always make sure that, you know, I, I make sure that my product is available out there in region for them to participate in. So regardless of um, hybrid, remote or in the office, set your vision, 
get everyone aligned with your goals, communicate well, show empathy. And I think I've missed one, but there was one more. Oh, and know the context that you're working within. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I, think we, I think that's what we can uh, end up the day on. Any no last words? No, I think we've covered quite a bit. And um, on top of that, there's a real purpose for your business in terms of um, making sure that regional schools get just as much um, support as the um, city schools. Yep, absolutely. Now, I'll wrap that up like... um, quite nicely after we um, finish up today but uh, <laughs> no that's fine I think we nailed it yep well um, Casey thanks for coming today like I had such a great conversation with you here yeah. uh, and, thanks for uh, having me it's a real honour to come on to podcast so I appreciate you giving me the time alright well until next time um, let's wrap it up thank you <laughs> As I close out the episode, some takeaways and actions you can take. One, leverage your strengths. Build your self-awareness so that you know what your areas of weaknesses are and therefore you can put in strategies to support yourself. Two, back yourself. Back yourself when you're looking to do something new or uncomfortable and make sure you do the research both through reading and talking to people as well. And back yourself when you're negotiating salaries Don't undervalue your worth. Three, the importance of planning and using a calendar. Color-coded rainbow is Casey's recommendation. Four, balance. Make it work for you. Create your own way. And five, leadership skills to support a team in the current era. Understand the organization's purpose, vision and values. Have clear objectives and clear communication. And to wrap around all this, know what's going on outside the organisation and be empathetic to what's going on in your team's lives and be flexible to support their well-being. If you want to learn more about Casey, I've provided some links to her websites in the show notes, including her LinkedIn profile. So I hope you enjoyed hearing from Casey as much as I did. Have an awesome day and I'll catch you next time.